Guys, we're going to jump right in. I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we prepare to wrap our hearts around the truths that we learned this week as we studied chapter 23 of the story. And it's okay if uh, you're just new to this thing called the story. Uh, it's a book we've been reading through. It's basically an abridged version of the Bible, put in chronological order segments of Scripture. And this week we covered a ton of areas, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. But first we want to prepare our hearts for worship. So please join me in a word of prayer. For loving us. God, thank you for being so kind to people like us. Lord, um, the truth is we don't have it all together. The truth is we often doubt you. We doubt your ability to work in our lives. And uh, the truth is, God, we need you. So our prayer this morning is that you would do something supernatural. Our prayer this morning is that you would come and you would invade. Invade our lives, invade this place, invade our agendas, invade our mistakes and our shame. And by the power of your spirit, Change us, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if, uh, how many of you were able to read this week? You're able to get it in. You got in chapter, or how many listened this week? You listened online, like YouTube is helping you out. Listening is good, listening is good. Uh, this is what I, I, I this was my, my legitimate emotion at the end of reading this week. I was like, Wow. Wow. Uh, last week was wow. It was, the, it, was, it was Jesus came on the scene. He burst on the scene and angels are singing and shepherds are going to tell and, and, and wise men are making journeys. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And, and then this week as we read and we got into the ministry of Jesus again, I, I, I was struck with just wow, this is, uh, this is amazing. And so I, I, I jotted down a few of the high points that we covered this week in the reading. You know, it's just a few big stories uh, of the Bible, you know, like the baptism of Jesus, kind of a big deal as Jesus is there, and we've got the Father speaking from heaven, and the Son being obedient, and the Spirit uh, there, and, and that's where we come up with our word for Trinity, of course, one God and three persons. We've got the temptation of Jesus, 40 days in the desert, face to face with the devil himself, and uh, that's kind of a big deal, and then we've got uh, John the Baptist declaring, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, hello, that takes us all the way back to the Old Testament in the story, and uh, we talked about there was a Lamb that was coming that would be a perfect sacrifice, if you guys remember the past. Passover. Um, we, we, we looked at the calling of the 12 disciples this week, and these are a, kind of a, a rough bunch, if you will. Uh, Jesus doesn't come and, and call the, the best theologians. He comes and calls a different kind of crew, a motley crew, if you will. And then there's, there's the wedding at Cana. And, and, and his first miracle, Baptist, is turning 120 to 180 gallons of water into 120 and 180 gallons of wine. Uh, and, uh, and that's what he does. And he serves it to people that have already kind of had their fill, you know what I'm saying? And, and this is his first miracle uh, on the face of the planet is this. And we, we go, wow. And, and then there's the Samaritan woman uh, at the well. Actually, pre-Samaritan woman, there's, there's this, the, the encounter with Nicodemus, which we kind of touched on last week that it was coming. And Nicodemus comes to him, and what, do, what does it take to get this eternal life thing? He says, you've got to be born again, Nicodemus, born of the Spirit. And, and then we get John 3.16 there in that conversation. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not be 
perish but have everlasting life. And that's kind of a big deal. Then there's the, the encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus talks about a, a living water and you'll never thirst again. And, 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 and the first revelation in all of the text apart from John the Baptist, the first time Jesus openly declares he's the Messiah happens in this encounter. She says, I, I know that the Messiah is coming. He says, yeah, that's me. I mean, it, it, it's powerful stuff. Then, then we, we also had the friends of faith that carry the crippled brother and, 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 and the place is packed there at Peter's house and so they, they dig a hole into the roof and they lower the guy down. I'm, I'm telling you, as a pastor, as a preacher, there's, there's half a year's worth of sermons in what we read this week. I mean, half a year, easy. And we're going to fit it all into 30 minutes, okay? It's your kind of church, isn't it? Well, can we just do that and we take a few weeks off, Pastor? Don't you? It says, do not forsake the assembly. What do all these events teach us about God in light of the story we've been tracking and tracing, though? What do all these stories teach us about the one? Because that's really the heart of this week's story. That's where it ends up. John the Baptist the one that was spoken of, remember, by the prophet Malachi, that was going to come and turn the hearts of fathers to their children's children to their fathers, that would prepare the way for the Lord, is preparing for his own death in prison, and he still has questions. Are you the one? So what does the text this week teach us about the identity of Christ? That's what I want to talk to you about. I've got three things I want to show you um, that our text shows us. And the first is this. I want you to understand that according to what we've read this week, that Jesus is the one who identifies with us and shows us the full extent of God's love. Okay? Jesus is the one who identifies with us and he shows us the full extent of God's love. And so one of the first questions when you read about the baptism of Jesus, um, I think in all of our hearts is why? The baptism that John was offering, no doubt, was a baptism of repentance for sins. And, and, and so as, as believers, as followers of Christ, we kind of need to ask. We, we know that Jesus is, is fully man, but he's also fully God. And we know that he is without sin, the Bible says. So why would Jesus, who is without sin, allow himself to be baptized with a group of sinful people, right? Because that day, what you need to understand is as Jesus stood on the bank of the Jordan River, as Jesus stood on the face of the planet Earth, he was the only person that was without sin. He was the only person in history that had no need to repent of anything. And so the question is, why on earth would he submit to it then? In fact, John the Baptist basically says this, right, in Matthew 3.15. He's like, uh, Matthew, uh, before Matthew 3.15, John the Baptist says, wait a second, like, why am I baptizing you? Um, you should be baptizing me. And this is Jesus' response. He says, let it be so now, for it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. Wait a second, hold, hold on. So Jesus is baptized to fulfill righteousness? Well, the question then is, who's righteousness? Certainly not his. Jesus is God. I, I, I mean, Jesus is perfect. Jesus is holy. Jesus is righteous. So, so, so he's not being baptized in order to fulfill righteousness on, on, on his own sake. That's, that's not the point of it, right? No one else on the bank that day, no one else on the planet of the earth was, was righteous. He's not submitting to this. He's not participating in baptism of repentance for this. So why does he do it? I'll tell you, Jesus participates in a baptism of repentance even though he has no sin to repent of 
in order to show, as John Piper would say, that the righteousness he wanted to fulfill was not the righteousness required of himself. He already had that. But rather, he was fulfilling the righteousness that would be required of everyone else. Of everyone else. See, in his baptism, what Jesus is doing is permanently identifying himself with sinful people. And this will be the theme of the story throughout. Throughout his entire ministry, Jesus will come not to righteous people that seem to have it all together, which, by the way, they do not have it all together. They think they do. But Jesus will say, I I didn't come for people that think that they've got it all together. I came to fix broken people. I I, I came to to hang out with people that know that there's got to be something more. That's who I am. That's why I've come. And and, and so we we have to understand this. So Jesus comes, and in his baptism, he identifies himself with sinful people, and this will be a sign of where the story is heading. Jesus will continue to do this even in his death on a cross. He'll be identifying himself with sinful people. Now, he does the same thing with his temptation. In in very similar fashion, Jesus identifies with us. It's part of the deal, right? Jesus perfectly lives out the law. He dies on the cross. Those things happen for us. Yes, so we can identify. But the same thing happens with his, bat, with his temptation. Now, we, we've all been tempted, right? We can confess to that, okay? okay? How many of you were tempted? Like you say, I've, I was tempted this week, Pastor. Anybody? Okay? Okay, it's a little early in the day. How many of you already been tempted today? You're tempted to sleep in and skip church, weren't you, right? Hallelujah! Yes, I was! I knew it was going to rain. I thought about, well, I just sleep in just a little bit. I know it says not to forsake the assembly, but one day ain't going to kill me. And, right, I'll, I'll have church at home. We'll turn on the TV. That Osteen guy always has something uplifting to say. I don't know if it's biblical, but it sure does make me feel good. And, you know, I mean, whatever. You thought about it. I know. The coffee was hot. The creamer was good. You had your little fluffy socks on still. You were thinking, oh, this is perfect. Do church right here in front of the television set. The truth is, we're all tempted, we're all tempted every day, and we're probably tempted multiple times a day, and because of that, and because of the fact that Jesus is perfect, we struggle with whether or not he understands what we're going through. But I want to show you something this morning, and I'm going to say this to you, I'm going to say it to you in love, but I want it to hurt a little. For those of you that think there's no way Jesus could understand how hard life is for you. He's tempted more. Jesus was tempted more than you could ever imagine and more than you will ever face. Don't believe me. I want to read something to you. I'm going to read a segment from C.S. Lewis' book, Mere Christianity. And he's going to address this thought that somehow this, this one who has come to save us from sin, this one who has come to be the answer to our Sin problem, because he was perfect, he can't identify with us. And I love what C.S. Lewis says here, uh, if you'll let me read to you. He says, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. 
After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a win by trying to uh, talk against it, not by lying down. That should probably be walk against it, although I'm reading from the text. It does say talk. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people in one sense know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. See, we've bought into a lie of the enemy that Jesus couldn't possibly know what life is like and what the temptations we face are like. No, my friends, he knows a lot more than we know about temptation. Because he withstood the gale force wind his entire life, and we tend to fall flat within a matter of minutes. That is why the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 4.15. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Therefore, he says in verse 16, Then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let me break that down for you. It just means this. Because Jesus has been tempted more than you will ever know or ever experience. And because he now sits at the right hand of the Father as your advocate, he is the place you should run when struggling with temptations. He is the place you should turn. First point this morning, Jesus is the one who identifies with us. He shows that to us in his baptism, but also in allowing himself and facing temptation 40 days face to face with the enemy second point this morning jesus is the one who meets us in our mess and offers us an infinitely better life jesus is the one who meets us in our mess and offers us an infinitely better life one of the primary reasons people misunderstood this messiah this promised one of god is because of the places that he's found and the people that he's found hanging out with right When Jesus shows up on the scene, he doesn't grab the 12 best Jewish scholars and set out on some intellectual itinerary. Instead, he calls fishermen and tax collectors and and, and, and brothers with a bit of a temper uh, that that ran their own business and and a zealot. And and he says, you guys are going to be my my messengers to the entire world. And it's a strange arrival on the scene for ministry, just as it was a strange arrival on on the scene to to the earth. Jesus doesn't avoid uh, Samaria, right? In Samaria, you have to understand that all good Jewish scholars hated the people of Samaria, right? Why? Because Jerusalem was the capital of the south, as we discovered when the, when the kingdoms divided, right? Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom. Well, what was the capital of the northern kingdom? Samaria. And so there was always deep hatred from the real Jews of anybody that was in Samaria. In fact, the the real Jews didn't want anything to do with Samaria. They wouldn't even walk through Samaria. They would go around it, even though it was a much shorter journey to go through it. What does Jesus do when he shows up? Does he act like all the religious Jews? No. 
He goes into Samaria. He intentionally goes there. And then he engages in a conversation with a Samaritan woman who's been around the block a time or two or five now on her sixth lap. He does it on purpose. He doesn't ignore her sin. He actually calls it out. By the way, those of you that talk about speaking truth in love, Jesus doesn't ignore sin. He actually calls it out in conversation, but he doesn't do so to demonize her. We need to take note of that. Rather, he simply does so that she will see that he sees her. And upon that revelation, she says, Whoa, you know, we've been waiting for the Messiah. She, she, upon that revelation that Jesus sees her, something begins to well up within her. She starts to yearn from this living water thing. <laughs> and she immediately cries out, wait a second, wait a second, living water, wait, wait, are, are, are you talking about the guy that's coming, that, that all the Jews talk about, the Messiah? Are you talking about him? And Jesus says, I tell you, I am he. The woman immediately believes, right? Ha uh, and Jesus replies to her this in John 4, 26, right? I am the one that you're speaking. She's going to go and tell everyone that will listen. Many are going to believe just because of her testimony. Jesus will stay two more days in Samaria teaching these people. And many folks, it says, will come to faith in Christ. Way before people in the southern kingdom even. I want you to think about this. This is where we find Jesus, Right? He's not with the religious rulers. Instead, he's at a party with a bunch of people that have already had a lot to drink. He's turning water into wine. We find him in Samaria, at a place that the religious people would not dare enter. And here he is, talking to a woman with quite a past. Of all the outcasts, He could have chosen. He offers eternal life first to a woman whose life is in shambles. And that's the point. That'll be the point throughout the rest of the story. This Jesus, this promised one of God, has come to bring people back to God. Therefore, the people that he has come to are people that are far away from God. And it shouldn't surprise us It shouldn't surprise us in this text and it should not surprise us today that God has a heart for lost people. That God has a heart for lost things. And so Jesus comes with a very different mission than those people thought he would. And this mission is extremely good news for us. It's extremely good news for anyone who has ever wandered away from God or has fallen short, or whose life is just a wreck. We are the kinds of people that this God has come to save. Okay? So point two, Jesus is the one who meets us in our mess and offers us an infinitely better life. Last point. It's a big one. Jesus is the one who is willing to make us clean. Jesus is the one who's willing to make us clean. There's two stories here uh, at the end of, of chapter 23 of the story that are important. One of them is a man with leprosy who comes to Jesus and just such a, a blatant display of faith. He says, like, listen, I know if you're willing, um, you can make me clean. And I love Jesus' response, Mark 141. He says, I'm willing, be clean. 
And I want you to understand this statement by Jesus is really a banner statement for his mission here on earth. That this, this God is always willing to make people clean. This is what he's here for. This is why he exists. Like he has actually come, stepped out of heaven and into humanity for one sole purpose, and that is to make sinners clean. And, and so over and over and over again, all people who come to him, any that believe in him, any that call on his name, he gives the right to become children of God by making them clean. And he's going to ultimately do that through his death on the cross. But every person that comes into his path... You're going to see this over and over and over again. And, and don't be shocked that the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is not just going to be, be, uh, be, be uh, saved or, or I mean, be, uh, be physically healed. That, that, that's typically the second thing. The first thing Jesus says to people is this, be clean. Another story that we ended this uh, week with was five guys. Four guys and a friend. And the friend was Paralyzed. Jesus is uh, in the town of Capernaum. He's probably at, at Peter's house. No, he's already been there. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. She gets up immediately and starts serving him. By the way, that's your proper response to God, just in case you're wondering. God has saved you. You should be serving him. That's just there in the Bible. It's immediate. It should come up naturally. If it's not happening, you should question some things, right? What am I doing? So Jesus is in Capernaum. He's probably at Peter's house. And uh, the leper that he healed, whom he told to be quiet about it, was not quiet about it. And the crowds have gathered, and these, these four guys are carrying their friend. They, they cannot even get near the house. They probably cannot even hear the voice of Jesus at this point, right? And, and, and you've got to be thinking, like, the, the, the man on the mat is probably saying, guys, it's okay, right? And, and we don't know his name. I, I don't know what his name is. I thought all week, I wonder what his name is, right? It's probably some Jewish name, but in my mind, I'm thinking, like, it's Buddy or Mac, right? You know, I mean, I wanted something, something like, man, and, and, and he's going to his friends like, hey, guys, man, I appreciate it, um, but, but listen, look, it's just not going to work. Just, just take, me, take me back and, and set me out front of a gate, and I'll beg for some money, and, and just, just, I mean, I appreciate it. But, but his friends are like, dude, buddy, we're not letting you down, man. That's, that, that, like, that's, not, that's not the final answer. And I, I heard a message um, last week. It was amazing. I, I, I just I was listening to a podcast, and it was from uh, Watermark Church um, there in Dallas, and uh, they were talking about the, the need for community, to live in biblical community. And the pastor actually preached on this passage. And he said, this is a passage that talks all about the need for biblical community. He says, and he tells this story about when he used to uh, do track and field. And they, they, you know, when you do the pole vault, you've got to have a big mat that you could land on. And he said, man, that was the heaviest mat. He said, we always hated that mat. We'd have to go drag that mat and pick up that mat. And there, there were times the wind would blow and then the mat would fall on top of one of our friends. And we'd all step back and laugh at him. And then we would pick up the mat and, and get it off. And he's like, you know, it was just so heavy. He says, so these guys, man, they're, they're carrying this mat and their friend is on the mat. And he said, and here's what I realized. Like, listen, this is life. And here's the truth of life. Either we are the ones carrying somebody into the presence of Jesus, or we're the one on the mat. And if you're the one carrying somebody, just be careful that you do your job well, because at some point in life, you're going to be the one on the mat, and you're going to need somebody to come and carry you to the Lord. And it's a powerful passage, what these guys do, because they don't give up. Because it is so important to them, their friend's livelihood, that they're like, listen, if we can't go low, by golly, we're going to go high. 
And these are some, like, I, I just, I want to see the scene. I want to, I want to, like, and not from down there. I want to be up on top of another rooftop watching these dudes. And I have no, like, I don't know if they're like, hey, hey, buddy, like, um, so you, are you sure you can't feel anything waist down? Is that what's going on with you? No, I feel nothing. So if we tossed you up there and, and just, it'd be okay? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what the conversation, I'm just wondering. I'm like, so we, can we tie stuff around your legs? You're not going to feel any of it? Is that what you're telling me? Like, just get me, whatever, get me up there, man. And so they figure it out. They get him up on top of the roof. And, and, and when the, we think about roofs, they say, well, what is this? Well, these roofs would be covered with, with like straw, but underneath the straw, there would actually be like hardened clay. And underneath the hardened clay, there would be branches that were laid out. And, and so if you can imagine Jesus teaching, and he's teaching the masses, and they are listening, hanging on his every word, and you can hear this stinking noise above your head. Ever been there? I've got a mouse infestation in this house. Peter's got to be thinking, what on earth? How embarrassing. Dirt starts to fall on the teacher's head. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry, Jesus. I brought you to my house and it's going to fall on your head. <laughs> Suddenly, light shines in from above. And these guys are moving out the twigs, and somehow they were lowering their friend. I pray, I, I mean, I, I, in my mind, I, I, I don't mean this to be humorous. I, if they really believe Jesus is going to heal them, they, they may have just dropped him. I don't know. It says lowered, I mean, but it, it didn't say how fast they lowered him. <laughs> so they lower him in front of the Lord, and uh, we see the same thing. Jesus says to the man, he says to him, he rewards his faith. He said, son, and this is looking at the faith of the friends, and, and we know that the man himself had to have faith as well, but he said, son, your sins are forgiven. See, the very first thing Jesus does, he doesn't heal him physically. The very first thing he does is address the elephant in the room. See, in that room and that day, what those people thought about this man that just invaded church. By the way, next time you walk in church and you look around and you see somebody that you don't think fits in, you better watch it. When they looked at this man that they thought invaded church, they saw someone in their mind that was paralyzed and therefore a sinner. That's how they viewed it. He was unclean. And the very first thing Jesus says, not anymore. Be clean. Be clean. He'll eventually heal him physically. I want to tell you this. Though. Jesus doesn't promise us physical healing. It's not promised. But he does promise us spiritual cleansing to all who believe. Therefore, with all of your junk and with all of your baggage and with all of your mess-ups and with all of your mistakes, you can always come into the presence of Jesus and his response will be the same. Be clean. That is the heart of Jesus. This is the one who has come, and he has come to make us clean. How do we pack that up and take it home, okay? <clears throat> They're going to kick me out in a second. Tell me that I ran over my time for Sunday school, but here we go. First challenge this week. Go to Jesus in prayer. Okay? Go to Jesus in prayer. He identifies with us. 
more than we know. I pray today was the end of the lie that you've bought into that there's no way Jesus could understand what you're going through because we are five-minute people. We are five-minute, ten-minute tops people as the waves of, of temptation, as the gale forces blow, we have a tendency to get down. Jesus stood up the whole time. I promise you that he knows temptation better than you could ever imagine. So go to him in prayer. Approach the throne of grace and don't be afraid. For he knows how difficult this world is. Two, invite Jesus into your mess. Invite him into your mess. This is, this is the heart. He meets us in our mess. One of my favorite sayings is that Jesus loves us enough to meet us where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. Friends, I, I, I know, because I know you guys, because we do life together here, that you come every week, and I know that life's not perfect. We're a church that, that intentionally tries not to dress up and act like everything's okay. That shouldn't be the way we go about life, right? So, but here, here's the challenge. Spiritually, on your own, at home, by yourself, you have to believe in this too. You have to believe that Jesus wants to and has the ability to clean up your mess. And here's the thing about God. God is a gentleman. He's not just going to kick you out and redecorate. You have to invite him to the space. So you've got to come to Jesus in prayer. Lord Jesus, I, man, this area of my life is a wreck and I do not know what to do with it. I'm ashamed to even invite you into the bedroom because all the other rooms look like I could have company right now. But I shoved all that stuff in my bedroom. You can't go in there. I call that living room life. You've got to invite Jesus into the messy parts, into the closet that you don't ever let your guest open, the drawer in the kitchen, open the bedroom, all those places. Jesus has to reign there, okay? Invite him into your mess. Number three, simply ask Jesus to make you clean. Maybe this morning you need a friend to carry you. Maybe you're at a place and you know that life is not right, but you do not have the courage to walk up here and talk to somebody. We're going to stand in just a minute. And maybe you just grab the person next to you and say, hey, will you just come with me and pray? Just grab their hands and just come with me and pray. That's what we're going to do. We're going to meet the Lord right here, right here. If you've got something to get right, let's get it right right now. We're only going to do this for a couple minutes. So I'm going to ask you, stand where you are with me as we enter into a time of prayer. Father, um, come before you right now. We just, just a couple of minutes. Just a couple of minutes to respond right now, Lord. I, I just pray anyone that needs to be cleansed, anyone that's struggling, anyone that just needs help, I pray this morning you would put it on their hearts to come and to pray. Please, Lord. In your name I ask these things. Amen.